Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to Star Wars Action News, the packing variant. (laughs) This is Marjorie. I'm Arnie. And this is going to be one of our last shows from our current studio. Honestly, I don't know where the shows in the new year will be recorded, but we'll figure it out. Well, it's not like we're homeless. We have a home to move to. Just not sure where in that home we're going to set up the studio. Kind of get in and get a feel for it, that kind of thing. But this will be our last quote unquote live episode of the new year because we are in the final throes of packing and i mean throws in both spellings of the word yeah uh i kind of am having a panic attack at times when i come down and be like oh my god we don't have enough time and then the movers don't help because we had to get quotes from movers to come and move our stuff because we can move our furniture probably that's not a problem <laughs> it's the collection that is gonna we just don't have we need a semi and it's, we need two semis they've said yeah so it was kind of fun and then frightening to watch the movers come over and they're like oh yeah first floor blah 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 and we said okay the second floor in the basement we've got a lot of stuff we've got a collection they're like okay one lady even said i ain't seen nothing we can't move and then she couldn't quote yeah the collection and it's kind of eye-opening to get this kind of reaction from movers you know i didn't realize they've estimated the tonnage of my collection <laughs> And it's honestly an eye-opening moment at a moment of, oh my god, what have I done in certain respects? And as I pack up, say, four of the KB Toy exclusive figure packs with the awful reissued Silver Vader that they tried to capture the Toy Fair magic and didn't, or three of the Darth Vader carrying cases that have the Sith Eyes Anakin and the dusty Obi-Wan figures. How about the Imperial Fleet that's in the office upstairs? You mean the six shuttles? Yes. And all the TIE Fighters. Oh, wait, and how about that little boy's underwear? I did find the boy's underwear of legend. I didn't remember because what's funny is how old I feel in packing because we've been doing this show for six years and I see items that we talked about in our early shows that I purchased, like the boy's underwear, and I didn't remember at the same time I bought the matching boxer briefs as well as the tidy, I don't Don't know. Don't they have Anakin on the Yeah, they do. That's awesome. I'm sure Hayden Christensen, that must be his proudest moment. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, Mom, I'm on someone's crotch. I won't touch that one. No. But also, the Star Wars customs. Remember the motorcycles? Oh, yes, where your dollar <laughs> was your sweet spot, and then they went on clearance for a dollar. Yes. That was awesome. Again, don't you regret those? No, those are hysterical. I don't regret those. What I regret are, how many Republic gunships do I need? Apparently, the answer was in the teens. Yeah. Or how many Jedi starfighters do I need from episode two, not knowing they'd re-release and re-release and re-release? Truthfully, my biggest regrets come from Hasbro's re-releasing. If they'd only released one big wing TIE fighter, I'd be perfect. But because they then repack it and then they change the cockpit a little and resell it and everything, I didn't need to buy three the first time around. I could have bought one and they'd re-release it two more times. Yeah. So what you're saying is in January, people may want to watch out for Arnie's bar basement? Well, maybe not January, because the house we're moving into, we're waiting just a little bit to figure out how we want to display the collection, because to be honest, I had to admit Marjorie was right. Oh, it's on recording now, and people can hear this and back me up and say, Marjorie was right all those years. There would not have been enough space to display everything we have. I don't think there was enough space before we built it. Because what happened was episode three, and then just vomited all over the basement. Episode three was hard, but you know what I think was the worst was the 30th anniversary. Because I'm finding so much 30th anniversary stuff down here. So many items that are of all types. Yes, episode three was big, but... Around episode three, I was still only a toy collector. By the time the 30th anniversary hit, I was also a high-end collector and a poster collector and a magazine collector and a mint-on-card and opener collector. Well, I think what happened was the 30th anniversary of A New Hope was, I think, the high point for the country, the world, in Star Wars mania. And, you know, it peaks, and I think that, you know, it's not gone downhill, but it's waned. Yeah. I think the 30th anniversary is a big thing for a lot of people who were just kind of casual fans, like, oh, I used to watch a movie all the time when I was eight years old, kind of thing. The other thing was, it was like the last hurrah, because there had been so much Star Wars hype since Phantom Menace. It kind of had a valley for Attack of the Clones, because people got burned, Kentucky Fried Chickens went out of business with Phantom Menace, and not all Kentucky Fried Chickens, quite obviously, but several who overbought into the cup toppers and frisbee chicken lids but revenge of the sith was a huge thing for people and i don't think they wanted star wars to go away like it did in the 80s and so when the 30th anniversary came around really retailers especially i mean i'm not just talking fans the companies don't want it to go away because it makes Mm -hmm. them a lot of money So everybody got together and did a big 30th anniversary push and there was Celebration 4 and all that going on in the Macquarie figures and so much cool stuff. And yes, it has waned. I mean, on this very show, Steve Sansweet said his collecting has decreased somewhat in recent times. And I have to say my collecting has decreased in this past year in quantity, not in fandom or fervor, but in quantity simply because I'm having to face all the items I've purchased and look at moving them. I stand by all collectors should move every five years to really evaluate. Although that said, I'm thinking I never, ever want to move again. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like, I just want to go someplace and die there. No, I'm not dying in Illinois. I understand, but I don't know that the other option is just I never unpack the collection. (laughs) It's crazy. Yeah, this is a problem. It's a pain. 
It really is. And we had a nice display down here. And I want to thank everybody who came and helped us set it up. Scott and Andrea and everybody who came. And then everybody who came and helped break it down. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan and Jonathan and Mark. Yeah. But I do think we're going to make our goal of having the majority of things packed this weekend as far as the Smithsonian goes. As long as my mental health keeps up. Well, you just keep packing upstairs. You deal with yeah. kitchen goods and clothes, and I'll continue to pack the action figures. Sometimes the enormity of what's down here gets to me, and I just kind of have to sit in a corner and rock back and forth and tell myself it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. Oh, I, I believe in you, so it's okay. But I just, I sometimes don't realize how much we have. I never go in some of these rooms down here. I honestly have to say the back room, which was <laughs> primarily the warehouse of toy storage. I mean, we had the high-end room where a lot of Gentle Giant, Sideshow, Master Replicas, FX Collectibles were on display. And that room would every so often fill up with boxes, and then we'd clear it out, and then it would fill up with boxes, and we'd clear it out. Then we had the middle room, which was the figure room where we had the figures up on all the walls, which you can see in our... 100th episode oh so long ago mm-hmm. when Scott came and we all hung that together and got the figures put up. And that was the first thing the realtor said had to come down that and your Marvel Mishojos. And then the third room, which I always planned on building some dioramas in, having a big battle of Hoth in one area and maybe a battle of Geonosis in the other, never quite got to that point as it was primarily vehicle and box storage from literally floor to ceiling. And honestly, doing the show took priority doing all our podcasts took priority over building dioramas and so that just became box land and that's where i'm dealing with now boxopia and i really feel like i've not spent as much time in that back room in the entire time we've lived in this house since that's been built five years ago as i have in the past two months no why would you go stand around boxes Remember usually, oh, once we unpack all this, it'll work for dioramas. Just trust me. Lies. Lies are intentional mistruths. This was... Plausible deniability. I've learned something in all of this. I'm horrible at spatial relations. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know where you thought the boxes were going to go because you like to save the boxes. And I kept making, you're like, storage underneath. I'm like, but it goes to the ceiling. Well, here's my problem. Uh, you have one only? Really? It's spatial relations. It all I think we need down. Jonathan back because he has this psychiatric background and perhaps he could may write a paper on you or something. Well, it's bad when I pick up a box, a brand new built box to put things in, and I pick up the first item, say a big wing TIE fighter, and go to the box and, nope, doesn't fit. <laughs> so I put that aside and go, all right, I need a bigger box. Like the Taco Bell Chihuahua back in the Godzilla days. I think I need a bigger box. And then I go and I pick up a gunship and I come and try to put it in the box and nope. And then I go and I get a Darth Vader helmet and nope. This is what you've been doing? You yeah, mean you I can't, can't look at an item and... Oh. I can't. I have to put the item in the box to realize it's too tall, too wide, or too long. And then I try it like three different ways. Well, what if I rotate it on a side? Nope. So for that child's toy where you try to put the square peg in the round hole, did that like totally confuse you as a child and you just can't go no it doesn't work why doesn't it work if i put that in front of you now would we just have hours of entertainment it's not entertaining it's frustrating i'm just oh no i meant for me i'm really really poor at this and the room right now the former figure room is the room where the movers always freak out Because it's about 12 foot long by 18 foot wide by 9 foot high filled with boxes. Yeah. 
One of the movers estimated it to be 270 boxes in that area alone. But because I'm so bad at spatial relations, it's not packed tight. I put a big box, then a small box, then a big box. There's a lot of gaps in there. And honestly, somebody better at this could empty that room out and probably fit all these boxes in two-thirds the space by maximizing storage. I'm horrible at Tetris is what it comes down to. Yes. So it wasn't a lie when I said it would all display. It was simply spatial ignorance. Yeah, but common sense would have told you in that back room when you filled it floor to ceiling common with boxes. Common sense pick up a big wing TIE fighter and know it's more than 12 inches tall. True. Very true. Wow. This worries me about you driving a car sometimes now. <laughs> Parking spaces. Yeah, I'm really worried. <laughs> It'll fit. Don't drive my car. How about that? Let's stay away from the Hummer. <laughs> So that's where we've been spending our time. So in the next few weeks of Star Wars Action News, we will be doing our annual year in review and year in preview shows. We're going to have several of the Star Wars Action News gang coming together to talk about that. But we will still have our iPhones. So we will still be updating with all the latest sales because there have been so many sales, so many holiday sales, mostly at Toys R Us and mostly very confusing. I mean, one day Toys R Us says, Legos, buy one, get one half off, exclude Star Wars. The next day they go, Star Wars Legos, buy one, get one half off. It is insanely confusing. But also online, just tons of sales. If you held off on the Walmart exclusive Jabba the Hutt or Tie Bomber, Entertainment Earth is your place for those because they've been having them far cheaper than Walmart ever put them on clearance, as well as a number of other items, the Hailfire droids. So we will be continuing to update our Facebook page, our Twitter page, and for the best sales, our Star Wars Action News new release newsletter for things like the Amazon Lightning deals, Star Wars The Jedi Path Vault Edition has been going up really cheap. I'm totally obsessed with slick deals right now because they tweet and I've been buying lots of junk. (laughs) That's good to know. Yeah. You've also been buying lots of dark roast coffee, which helps the packing. It does. Again, that Think Geek Star Wars dark roast coffee, it's really good. It is dark. I mean, it's not, you know, coffee for wusses. If you drink Folgers or Maxwell House, I think this is not going to be your speed. But if you drink Folgers or Maxwell House, perhaps you should reevaluate your life. Ouch, I like Folgers. No, you don't. Every time my dad serves it, you say it's crap. I used to like Folgers before you spoiled me on this dark roast. Yeah. But a lot of things going on. Again, I want to refer you to our last show, our holiday gift guide, where we went through all of the mostly in-stock items for holiday shopping. As you finish, we are down to about two and a half weeks till Christmas. And the toy preparations continue. One of the items I've been looking for, Jedi Temple Archives, kept me alerted that it was coming coming was the Clone Wars gift pack, which is a really good five-figure set. It's great for kids or starters because you get three iconic Clone Wars characters, Anakin, Dooku, and Captain Rex, as well as two troop builders, including the super battle droid with the paint scheme I just really like. And that had been kind of a hard one to find. It finally showed up in mass this week at my Walmarts. I found it at the Walmart I go to as well because, you know, we work in different sides of town, so we each have our own Walmarts, and we have our Walmart. But I found it. Someone had just thrown them on the floor, literally in the toy aisle. They were just stacked haphazardly 
no shelf space for them. There's no shelf space anyway for any toys right now. But they were just in a pile on the floor for you to take. Here's what's funny is that's not the only Walmart I've seen it at. Now, with all kinds of toys, I'm seeing them like pack boxes and just stack them like Jenga in front of pegs of figures. So I have to move like Marvel figures out of the way to check the Star Wars pegs and all kinds of craziness like that. They're just not caring anymore. I don't know if it's holiday help or things just aren't selling or somebody said, you got to get these out. And so they just put them out. But it's absolutely crazy. But I find Walmart is the place to go. There are some other Walmart finds that are being reported at GalacticHunter.com and JediTempleArchives.com. Some delayed vehicles, the mini rig type vehicles, the ATRT Walker with the ARF Trooper and the Bark Speeder with Clone Trooper Buzz. I'm sorry, but the ARF Trooper should come with the bark speeder. I'm sorry. <laughs> and what's funny is the packaging for those actually show canceled items, the Boba Fett speeder bike and the Republic Recon Fighter, but these have been long delayed. They're finally making their way out. They are Walmart exclusives, so check your Walmarts for those now. Also, Wave 3 is being found again. I myself have found Wicket in stores. He's cute. I haven't seen it with my own two eyes, but lots of reports of Gamorrean guards being found once more. So definitely, if you can brave the crowds and to be honest, it's getting harder and harder as days go on. My toy runs are pretty much exclusively around 7 and 8 a.m. anymore. Yeah, I shop open early. at non-traditional hours anymore because I just really can't stand the crowds. But if you do go out, certainly check your toy aisle. If you're shopping from home, Brian's Toys has a number of great items. Our Target sold out of the Search for Luke Skywalker Tauntaun Pack. They have that now at Brian's Toys, as well as the Vintage Landspeeder. Or, if you're in the mood for something just a little bit more holiday-related... They have in stock the 1-6 scale Holiday Yoda from Sideshow. You can get that and all types of holiday gifts at Brian's Toys. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, please be sure to mention that you heard about them on Star Wars Action News. We have a few voicemails this week that we're going to listen to to find out what you're saying. Hi, Ari and Marjorie. Uh, it's Robert Darthakari calling in. Just want to let you guys know, I know that there's some of those items that you were, were mentioning that I had mentioned before off of the... Uh, 1999.co.jp website. Well, I did a little bit of searching around of some of the other anime Japanese websites I frequent. And if you check Hobby Link Japan and Hobby Fan, but I know that on Hobby Link Japan, they have some of those same items, and they did have a few of them in stock as of just uh, like a day or so ago. So you might want to just kind of check around on them. Uh, so you, you know, obviously, you, you know, have to kind of muddle through their websites here, and they're all 100% in English. But um, I was able to find uh, a couple items that I was looking for for gift ideas for folks. So you might want to just give them a try and see if they still have their stock in stock. Uh, otherwise, uh, they had pretty good luck with finding the more recent Clone Wars waves around here. I'm still only missing a couple of the figures, but we'll see how that goes. But um, otherwise, I'll let you guys know if anything else interesting. Oh, yeah, that's another thing. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but at my Toys R Us, we have a R2-D2 MP3 player, which has C-3PO face earbuds. 
I think it's like a two gig MP3 player, and it has a screen on the back of R2, which I guess is a preloaded trailer for the uh, trilogy on it, which is kind of kind of cool. Not too sure if I want to pick it up. It's about forty-five, fifty dollars for it, so not exactly in the right price range for something that only holds that much, but. It's still kind of a cute little item, maybe even as a item for a kid or something. So, but then, alrighty, well, have a good one, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for the call, Robert. First of all, really cool. Thank you for the links to the anime sites because those Kotobukiya items that aren't available in the States are some of the nicest Star Wars items I've seen in a long, long time. And I was actually going to drop you a line because I know that you collect anime stuff and are into that, and you would probably have some resources since the ones I only had were out of stock, so you beat me to the bunch. Of course, I giggle at the line, not all of the sites are fully in English. (laughs) I love the translations, though, when they do have English. It's awesome. As for the MP3 player, I did see that. That is certainly on my wait for eBay in five years list when MP3 players like that go for $5. Yes. It's kind of like the U2 iPod. I love U2. There was the U2 iPod. I didn't feel like paying U2 prices. But in a few years, that iPod is going to be so worthless and it'll just be a collectible. Arnie, Bono's broke. He really needs that money for that (laughs) licensing agreement with Apple. Thank God it's him instead of you. (laughs) You know he's going to kill us. <laughs> hey, Arnie Marjorie. It's Chris in Bethlehem, PA, Wicked3419 on the forums. Just calling with an update on some purchases that I was able to get from my local stores up here in the Lehigh Valley. Um, Black Friday didn't really want to venture out on all that craziness, you know, with all the uh, shopping and all that whatnot, but... I did actually go out later in the day. Um, Like you guys said, there wasn't really anything worth going out for at 9 o'clock on Thanksgiving night um, or even at midnight at some other places. But I got a late start and did some decorating and went out and just hit four stores. I had two Walmarts. I hit a Target and I hit Toys R Us. And actually, I was very surprised when I walked into my local Toys R Us. Walked in and just sitting there swinging from the pegs. I got the Clone Wars Armored Savage Press and Commander Colt. Um, I was very surprised to see them front and center. Um, so I did snatch both of those right up. Uh, vintage figures, Black Friday, absolutely nothing. I don't know if they were wiped out right away or, or what, but there was really nothing there. I just thought it was a Black Friday casualty. Um, a couple days later, I went to my local Kmart. Not really a huge fan of that place because of their inflated prices. But I went in, and lo and behold, they had some vintage figures, uh, one that I haven't seen before. Uh, I got the uh, Slave Leia vintage figure as well as the R2 and... Also, the Wicked, but what makes these extra special are all three of them are the Revenge of the Jedi card backs, which I thought was pretty cool to see those, so I picked those three up. Um, as for anything else, there's really nothing much out there with all the holiday shopping. I guess it's kind of harder to get figures, but I did manage to get five that I was pretty happy to, to grab, so that's it. 
uh, keep up the great work and hope you guys have a nice holiday and I'll keep listening. Great show. Talk to you soon. Bye. Congrats on the fines. Good that you avoided the crowds and still were able to find some of those revenge cards. Well, I think Black Friday was kind of a bust this year because it all happened on Thursday. (laughs) I don't know. If you've hit YouTube and seen the Black Friday videos of the women fighting over the towels. That was on Thursday, though. That was on Thursday, but it was actually at midnight, Thursday to Friday. But that makes Midnight Madness for the Star Wars DVD three-packs or Revenge of the Sith figures look calm. Yeah, I really was not punched that much at Midnight Madness for Star Wars toys. I have been elbowed in the face a few times. However, you can tell who's doing it accidentally and who's not. And if you're not doing it accidentally, then, well, neither am I. Hey, guys, it's Phil, wannabe trooper off the forums. Just calling in, letting everyone know what I've managed to pick up at the memorabilia event at Birmingham's NEC. Now, as far as the actual figures go, uh, everyone knows I'm a big vintage fan, and I've managed to pick up the Revenge of the Jedi, uh, Darth Vader. Got him for only eight quid, and he's unpunched, and as I've mentioned before, he's unfortunately on the European card, but, you know, these things happen. Now, I also managed to pick up the Expanded Universe uh, vintage-style card, the Bastila Shan. Hope I've pronounced that right. Um, didn't really want to pick this one up because, uh, you know, I think the Expanded Universe, you know, on a vintage card shouldn't go there. But anyway, that's just my own taste. But, you know, it's vintage, so, you know, I've got to pick it up. Now, I did pay 12 quid for that. Not quite sure that translates into US dollars at the minute. Either way, it's pretty expensive. And the last figure that I managed to pick up that weekend was Bom Vimdin. Again, I hope I've pronounced that right, on the Star Wars vintage card. Um, again, I managed to pay 12 quid for that one. But, you know, again, I haven't seen this anywhere else, so you know, I had to pay that for it. Um, but on the plus side, unpunched, and it's on the proper US card, and it's got the offer for the white Boba Fett which is no good in this country, but I'm sure I'll pick one up off eBay. So, unfortunately, you know, just three vintage figures um, from the from the big show. And I was looking for the vintage Land Speeder and the vintage Tauntaun and everything else, but all the dealers were just saying they haven't been able to get the stuff in, um, which is a real shame. But, unfortunately, that's just the way it goes sometimes. On the plus side of things, I did manage to meet Brian Muir, uh, the author of In the Shadow of Vader, now, for people that don't know who Brian Muir is, uh, he's the guy that originally sculpted the Darth Vader helmet for Episode 4, New Hope. And he also worked on the costume for C-3PO and a couple of other droids. And he also worked on the Stormtrooper helmet as well as the armour. Now, after he signed me book, I did manage to have a quick chat to him about the SDS um, Andrew Ainsworth court case that's been going on in the UK over here for the past couple of years. Um, Basically, Brian didn't really have much of a good word to say about Andrew Ainsworth. But if you're not familiar with the court case, you know, just do a quick Google on SDS court case Lucasfilm, and uh, you can make your own mind up on that one. But I think uh, most people already have. Now, a couple of little cool items that I managed to pick up as well. Um, managed to get these unofficial Moss Eisley Canteen uh, beer mats, six in a pack, uh, five quid. Can't really go wrong with that. Also, a nice little prop replica uh, the neural net processor um, from the Terminator uh, from Terminator 2 sort of an unofficial uh, replica prop there by these guys called rbreplicas.com check the website out uh, they've got some pretty cool stuff 
They say they can uh, make anything you want or choose from items they've already made. Now, I did go to the stall uh, towards the end of the day to go and pick up the Django Fett darts, uh, but uh, unfortunately they'd sold out. Now, if you go on the website, um, they're quite expensive, to say the least. At the show, they were only about, you know, 10 quid for about three of them. Um, not sure if that was a show exclusive price, uh, but I'm going to give them a bell in the next couple of weeks and see if I can get some ordered through, and I'll let you know uh, if they're any good or not. Also, if you've got the Star Wars Vault book, um, a book that I managed to pick up at the show is Alien the Vault, uh, very similar to the Star Wars uh, Vault book. Got this for only 15 quid. Apparently, normally it's 30, so half price on that one, so can't really go wrong either. Now, the main purchase of the day, it's got to be the Probe Droid diorama uh, on Hoth. Um, now, the kit consists of Han Solo and Chewbacca, and obviously the Probe Droid. And it's not actually a model kit in itself, it's basically the, the two figures, uh, Han and Chewie from Hasbro, uh, that came out a couple of years ago, and the Probe Droid, which I believe came out in the mid 90s. Now, what Darren's done for us, Darren is the sort of guy that makes all my model kits. Uh, he's sort of kit bashed the whole thing. Uh, that's what I believe the correct term is. Um, he's taken the Han and Chewie, you know, put them in the correct poses, uh, repainted them, and done the same thing with the Probe Droid. Now, he's actually made the snow diorama from scratch and, uh, you know, painted it all up and stuck a rod in the Probe Droid to make it look like it's floating. Now, the price of this was just over 100 quid not bad really uh, considering the amount of time and work that's gone into it and uh, it's going to make a fine addition to me uh, model collection so a bit of a letdown really at the memorabilia event um, as far as the Star Wars vintage line goes anyway um, seems to be very low on the on the, on the new items um, on the older items you know things like Wedge that was there going for about 40 quid uh, Django Fett was even going for as low as £8 but anything new new um, unfortunately there was very little of great if you want the sort of 1978 AFA graded Stormtrooper going for a few hundred pound plenty of things like that uh, wall to wall you know full of the actual proper vintage stuff but anything brand new um, looked like you had to be there early doors to get them items anyway guys as usual keep up the good work of the show and hopefully I'll be back in touch in a few weeks time to see what else I'm finding in the UK thanks for the report from that show it sounds like a good time and sounds like you got some good figures sorry about the prices i mean i usually anymore just double quid for dollars it's a little bit less than that but you're paying a high price but when i think of some of the cost plus shipping even with shipping rates in the u.s you probably broke about even mm-hmm. so thanks for that call we also have a hasbro q a this week what really yeah. wow all right i'll go ahead and read the answers because they're about a quarter of the questions in words a quarter? You're generous. <laughs> All right, I will let you. Question one. Thank you for seeing fit to include the 2009 Isla Sakura in the 2012 Clone Wars lineup. Her figure has been very difficult to find since it was first released, so many of us will welcome a second chance to track her down in stores next year. That said, is there any chance you might take this opportunity to improve her facial paint apps, please? The sample shown at events in the year of her release and even afterwards was a gorgeous figure with a great likeness, but the version that actually hit retail was very different and left some 
something to be desired. I would think you'd agree. She bears far less resemblance to the character from the show than the prototype, and is, well, somewhat less pretty. It looks so different, I can't help wondering if it was even the same face sculpt. If so, it is amazing what difference paint apps can make. Any chance we'll see a fix with this release, please? We are working with our production team to try and improve the paint ops. Well, that's fairly non-committal. <laughs> it's neither agreeing nor disagreeing. It's just saying, we'll try to improve. I guess trying to improve is always good. Hey, they're trying. That's all that counts, right? Question two. The reveal of the new Serapis figure at Comic-Con in July was greeted by delight in my household. Bravo for creating a fantastic figure and one we can't wait to pick up. The mech suit turned out great, and even the tiny little pre-posed sitting pilot figurine looks fantastic. Bonus points for making him removable, but in his compact, seated pose, he's not really suited to play or display outside of his armor. In truth, his pose is somewhat reminiscent of someone experiencing a digestive crisis. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a digestive <laughs> I think I'm going to use that from now on. I like that. Oh, God, I'm having a digestive crisis. Thank you. Understanding this was a necessary and reasonable compromise and that the main event here is really the robotic suit, is there any chance we might see a re-sculpted standing Serapis minifigurine in the future, perhaps packed as an accessory with another figure like Suji, much like Toto 360 was included with the most recent Cad Bane? And their answer... No, we are not planning another Serapis at this time. Due to his size, he was a one-piece figure. Maybe he has something to do with his digestive crisis. So thank you, Reverend Strone, for those questions. <laughs> now next up, we have joining us Paul S. Kemp. One of the newer Star Wars authors on the block, he burst onto the scene with Cross Current, then had his Old Republic novel Deceived, and now his third Star Wars novel, Riptide has been released. Brock reviewed this a couple weeks ago, and it was the only new fiction that I saw fit to include on our holiday gift guide this past year. I think it's just that good of a book and that good of an entry point. We're going to be talking to him. Now, I will give a spoiler warning for those who wish to remain unspoiled. The first half of the interview, we try to stay light spoilers, the type of stuff you'd see in a trailer for a movie. So we get into some of the early plot points, but not any of the major revelations. And then I alert you mid-interview when we go into Book of Ruinous territory. But I really hope, I posted this on Facebook, we talked about this last week on the show, I hope everybody listening's had a chance to read this great novel, because I think Paul and I got into some pretty deep conversations about the themes of it in the spoiler area. So, like, by spoilers, you're going to reveal that Darth Vader's Luke's father? That type of spoiler, yes. Got it. So here is that interview. And joining us once again is Paul S. Kemp, author of Star Wars novel Riptide, as well as several others. Hello, sir. Hey, Arnie. Hey, everybody. Now, when we talked back in episode 240, if people want to go back and hear our cross-current interview, you had said that the sequel had just been greenlit, which became Riptide. And that said, so much happened in cross-current that led directly into the events of this novel. How much of a vision for the clones, their mission, and all of the events of Riptide did you have when you were writing cross-current? You know, I had a pretty big chunk. I mean, it's my habit when I write any novel to try, um, I mean, unless there are explicit instructions to the contrary, to try to leave at least a few little loose threads that I might be able to pick up later. And uh, with cross-current, I really, uh, I had (laughs) more than a few such threads in the form of the clone. So, I mean, I had a decent chunk of the real broad outline of Riptide at the time because you can see, you know, you've got not only the clones, but you've got Mother and so forth that appear in Cross Current, and those obviously are an integral part of Riptide. So, uh, you know, a large chunk is what I had in mind. 
and I had my fingers crossed that Del Rey would, would let me uh, follow up. During the writing of Riptide, did any of this evolve, or did it stay pretty true to your original vision? Well, you know, vision here is very broad. I didn't have, uh, you know, a lot of the details of the plot and so forth sketched out in my head. I just had, broadly speaking, a sense of what might motivate the clones, what they were going to try to do, the kinds of challenges that they faced in the form of the sickness and the madness and so on. So that stayed pretty true to what I had contemplated when I wrote Cross Current. But, you know, in the process of actually plotting out and outlining Riptide, of course, you put a lot of flesh on those bones to create an actual full-length novel. And as you said, you make that a point to do with all novels. You do that again with Riptide. Is a third book in the series planned? Um, as of today, as far as I know, there's nothing formal that's been planned. It's my hope that I'll be able to revisit with uh, Jaden and the crew at some point in the future, but I don't know when that would be. That's really uh, Delray's call. I mean, I, I suppose to some degree it depends on fan response to Riptide and, and so on, and uh, I know the editors like the book a lot, so in theory it seems to me it's possible something would happen, but we haven't formally agreed to do anything at this point. Given how the story seems to build upon itself from Cross Current to Riptide. Do you have any idea if Lucasfilm and Del Rey weren't a part of it, contracts weren't an option, how long Jaden's story would stretch? That's a tough question, Arnie. I, I, I had a, you know, I sort of faced a similar issue with one of my other, sig- I don't want to say one of my others, not as if Jaden's a signature character for me. He just happens to be the Jedi that I've been able to write about and explore. But in the Forgotten Realms, I have a kind of signature character that's attached to my name named Erebus Kale. And and he has had a story that's stretched now, eight books, and, and there's another series coming out that is related to his story. But but really, at the end of eight, his story kind of came to an end, at least one end. Whether or not it picks up again in the next year is a different question. So it's hard for me to say. I mean, there's a point at which I think a character story must end, you know, because there comes a point at which you're, you're just rehashing things or you're stretching things out past the point of credibility with readers in terms of the character's evolution in terms of their motivation and so on. Now, I don't think Jaden's anywhere near that, and I, I, I could certainly I could run rant across the galaxy with, <laughs> with he and Kedron and Mar and and some other things that I'd love to do. Um, we'll just have to see if that, if that happens. But but if I had my druthers, sure, I could, I could write a whole trilogy featuring these guys tomorrow. Now, when we spoke at C2E2 earlier this year, you'd mentioned that several people thought of Cross Current kind of as a horror-type feel novel. Given this feedback, did it influence your writing of Riptide either to play into the more gruesome aspects of combat and the story or to pull back from it a bit? It did not play into that. I, you know, when I write, there's sort of two distinct things there. The, the combat scenes that I write, I like them to be very visceral and kind of in your face. And part of doing that is to make them, if not graphic, very close to, to graphic. I mean, combat at the end of the day is the kind of thing that leaves people exhausted and bruised and bloody and you can't walk for a few days. I mean, it's just, it's hard. So I like to try to communicate that to the readers through the prose and to just make it one of those things that causes them to wince and grit their teeth and flip pages rapidly and so on. So there's that kind of visceral aspect to the action scenes and the storytelling. The horror component's a little bit, a little bit different. And to be honest, I'm not sure exactly where that comes from. I just, uh, I mean, I do love horror movies and the suspense and tension that comes from from horror movies and I know that it it has affected and influenced my writing in some ways because it's very much a mishmash of, you know, in this case space opera and horror and, and fantasy tropes and so on and almost all of my books are some combination of that. 
Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, candidly, some readers really love it and some kind of recoil <laughs> from, the, from the horror elements. But that's just the kind of story I like to write. So, you know, you sort of know what you get when you're reading something by me. And if it's for you, that's great. If it's not, then I accept that. It's not. Continuing with questions about the writing style, the book begins here with a scene that comes from basically the climax of the novel and then the bulk of the story told in flashback. And in Cross Current, you use somewhat of a similar technique where you gave Jaden Core a force vision of what would come later in the book. Narratively, why does this type of opening appeal to you? In the case of Riptide, the entire book is really designed to pose the question of sort of the themes that I'm trying to explore, obviously, are our identity and, and, and sort of um, biology versus culture and essentially the nature versus, versus nurture debate when it comes to what composes a man. Uh, or a woman. And I wanted to pose the question right at the outset, at least kind of obliquely. So in the case of Riptide, it made sense to start at the end and to just frame the entire rest of the book as the answer to the question that's raised in that prologue. So, you know, you get that event with Jaden where he's wondering what the heck's going on and there's some weird things occurring and then we cut and then we go back two days and fill in the blanks. And part of it, too, was to give the reader notice that the story is about answering that question and to kind of, um, I mean, for lack of a better way to say it, to kind of watch for clues about, because some of the answers are not, are, are not obvious. And I think after you read the book, at least I flatter myself this way, I think after you read the book, you can think about some of the questions that you would have with regard to Jaden, what happened, look back and say, oh, wait a minute, this happened. Oh, yeah, and then there was this, and he said that, and then this occurred. So here's what I think actually went down. I wanted to put the reader on alert that it was that kind of book in the case of Riptide. So inverting things narratively made sense. In the case of Crosscard, it really wasn't exactly the same thing. I mean, it's, there's not this inversion of the narrative where we start at the end. It's just that there's a kind of a fairly standard trope of Jaden getting this force vision and pursuing it. Yeah, there's, there's some issue around what's the nature of the vision and so forth. But Crosscurrent, I mean, narratively, Crosscurrent's structured almost entirely different in that there's these, there's these two stories that run parallel to each other until they eventually cross, which obviously is the origin of the title of the book. And and then we get the big collision and we figure out exactly what's going on. And then even at the end of that book, you know, the question is, why did all of this occur? And the, the issue with Cross Current, at least my intent with Cross Current, was to imagine sort of the force of this deterministic kind of concept in the universe and unbound by time and so forth, obviously. And then this idea that these two Jedi, Jaden and Relin, are both slipping to the dark side, and there's really only one way to save one of them, and the only way to do that is to kind of cross the lines of their lives, and that'll result in one of them being saved and one of them continuing his fall. So that's that's kind of what happens in that book. And I definitely, you say that you intended to raise some questions. I'll probably be raising those questions a little later on. <laughs> okay, I'll answer them if I can. Now... To stay a little bit less spoilery, in both Deceived and Riptide, you have a subplot revolving around children in need of important medicine and the difficulties in getting medical care to them. Is this a way of addressing real-world concerns through use of science fiction? You know, it's, it's unconscious on my part in a way. Um, I think a lot of what bleeds into my fiction these days because I have young children is this idea of caring for and protecting children. I think it, it originates more in my feelings of responsibility as a father than it does in my sense of appropriate social policy. Though, yeah, I mean, you do raise an interesting question, and I, I'm sure lots of people out there don't really follow my blog. My background is in the law and public policy, so I have pretty strong opinions and have thought through a lot of these issues that can 
considerable length and have posted at considerable length about them too, including health care reform. And I suspect, you know, to some degree that, that, that probably factored in in an unconscious way. It was nothing I thought about as I was writing the books. By the same token, you say that uh, subconsciously your being a father influenced some of the novel. I noticed that in the book you have two separate characters where they both have the need and they can't understand why to protect Grace. And I was wondering if this was supposed to be just the parental nature of protecting children or if there was perhaps something more sinister, that she had some kind of force control to be protected. With regard to Soldier, no. I mean, that's, in many ways, I look at Cross Current as kind of this book, the theme for which the primary driving motivation in it is the, is the elimination or the, the, the resolution of doubt. And primarily the doubt exists in Jaden's mind and the idea is to get rid of it somehow. And that's kind of what's happening in the book. And to a lesser degree, the Anzot assassin has doubt too, but in a very different way, though. Whereas, you know, in Riptide, the theme, particularly Soldier's theme, is purpose and trying to find it. So in Grace, he sort of finds his purpose, and he doesn't consciously think about it this way until the very end of the book. But what's really happening with him is here's an individual who feels completely separate and alien from the universe, given his origin and, and the nature of his existence up to that point. And he's just desperately looking for some reason, something. You know, we all struggle with this to one degree or another. And he's just looking for purpose, and she's it, ultimately. So even when he is protecting her and caring for her early on, it's, it's a manifestation of what later becomes a kind of epiphany for him when he realizes that she's his purpose. And when Kendron, who, as far as we know, has no children, has kind of the same sort of purpose when he discovers Grace on the ship, was mm-hmm. was that just a native paternal instinct? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, with Kedron, it's more of a – Kedron's a, an inherently moral guy. And notwithstanding his kind of rakish demeanor and, and existence on the edge of the law, he is, at the end of the day, a very just a moral, upright kind of guy, a good friend, a, a person who takes duty seriously and so on. And, yeah, for him, this is just an issue of this is a child. He doesn't think about her as a clone or even a Sith. And also notwithstanding all his tough talk about, ah, the universe would be better without Sith and so on and so forth, he sees her and, and she's just a kid. And in consequence, being who he is, he feels obliged to try to do something to help her. Now, per the timeline published in the appendix of this novel, this book takes place before the Fate of the Jedi series currently going on. But yet you kind of tie into the one Sith who were players in that general area of time, as well as the much later Star Wars legacy comics. Were there too many continuity hoops you had to jump through to bring them in here? Well, no. The issue with using the one Sith, and and I bumped into this with Cross Current and in Riptide, obviously, is that because they essentially remain secret into the future, you know, I can't do things that would reveal them in the presence of the novels. So they end up having to operate through these proxies all the time, and the proxies can't ultimately be discovered and questioned and so on, or it throws a wrench into everything that happens afterward. So there's that continuity. But other than that, there's there's really not much more to it. I just I love this idea, though, that this organization has existed for, you know, such a long period of time right under the nose of the Jedi. And, and it seems to me to make very good sense that they've been scheming and plotting and doing lots of little things around the edges of the galaxy, fiddling with the Jedi here and there, positioning themselves for what will come later. So I enjoy working with them in that regard. But continuity hoops, not so bad. Okay. And now I want to give our listeners a warning. I'm going to be going into some deeper spoilers of Riptide. So if they haven't listened, they can fast forward. And if they have, here we go. Now, when we were discussing Cross Current, we discussed who Alpha may have been cloned from, and here it's revealed it's Cam Solisar's clone. 
and there's also mentions of clones of Mara Jade and some others. But it seems that many of the clones' original identities are, at this point, as far as the, as I'm concerned as a reader, seemingly arbitrary as they're never mistaken for any of their originals. Was there a reason behind each of the Jedi you chose to be cloned? I, I guess I'd back up a little bit and say it's, it was... So, some of the clones, maybe not all of them, or a majority anyway, are modeled on certain Jedi or Sith that we thought the DNA for whom might be available around the time that the cloning experiments were going on. But the nature of the cloning experiments was to try to splice the DNA of various individuals. So it wouldn't be the case necessarily that the clone of Alpha, the clone of Cam, is just entirely and clearly just a, a, clean, a clean clone, if you will, of Cam. So the reason for having that identities and clones that they are is simply one of availability more than more than anything else. It's just th- those were individuals for whom it made sense. There could be a clone who could have been grown at that time, but there isn't any, at least I don't have anything in mind where I'm going to go, okay, I'm going to do something. If one of the, if Hunter, for example, is a Mara Jade clone, I'm going to do something with that down the road. That, that wasn't my plan. I wouldn't touch that. <laughs> And then I wanted to talk a minute about just clones in general and your view of them. Um, when I think of writers stating viewpoints on cloning, I think I go to Karen Travis as ha- being very outspoken on her beliefs about what she referred to as clone ethics. And she tried to address those through her Star Wars fiction that she, and she said in real life she believes clones should be people and treated as such. And as you kind of address these types of matters in Riptide with the question of what is a man? Is it an equation? Is it the sum of their memories? I was wondering in general what your thoughts were are of clones as they are depicted in the Star Wars universe. And, you know, primarily we see clones as the clone troopers, the slave army of the Republic. Do you see them as biological droids or as individuals? I mean, without delving into the politics of it too much, sure. I mean, in my own view, individuals are essentially the sum total of their choices. And unless you think that um, the growth process results in um, a choice set that's entirely restricted by biology, then they must need to be individuals. I mean, because they're going to make clone A makes different choice from clone B, and right at that point they begin to diverge, and now they're becoming different people. So sure, they'd be individuals, have to be. And by that same token, I kind of want to touch upon the end of Riptide where you have the character of Jaden die and then his memories are passed into the iteration clone. And I was recalling a movie where I had the same kind of ethical questions called The Sixth Day. Horrible movie, but same ethical questions. An Arnold Schwarzenegger film where people were prolonging their lives by transferring their memories into clones of themselves. So they looked the same, had the same memory. But the question I as a person kind of wondered is if I was given this opportunity, is it really me? And that again goes back to the Mm -hmm. idea of the people of their equations. When Mar implants the memories of Jaden into the iteration, he does it seemingly as a way to resuscitate Jaden. But in the end, I mean, it's not just really Jaden. It's a clone facsimile is kind of my view. And I was wondering if that was your view of it. I don't want to offer my view of it, but I, I think that your view of it is a reasonable one. I think that one of the issues that I'm trying to raise with that as a book kind of at least indirectly interrogates this notion of identity is did Mar make the right call there? And not only for himself, but I mean, it, there's kind of this notion of mind-body dualism. By the end of the book, Jaden suspects something and suspects that he may not be who he thinks he is. And th- th- that is kind of a terrifying thing. 
So, you know, when I think about it, uh, you know, setting aside the whole question of is he still the same guy, is he not the same guy, I think that's an interesting question. It's just it's an impossible one to answer because you have to come at the question with certain premises about mind-body dualism or a lack of dualism, you know, sort of mind-body unity. And depending upon which one of those you come to the question with, that's going to dictate your answer. But the more interesting question for me is, what happens with, psychologically? What happens? It doesn't matter if he actually is the same guy or isn't the same guy. How does he perceive it, and what does that do to you? It just that's one of the reasons why I love to revisit with these characters later because I think there's so much that would be interesting to do with Jaden at this point if and as he discovers what's happened. And then Mar, of course, as you point out, has an awful lot of baggage that he's going to have to carry in connection with this. He wants to maintain the secret. If he doesn't maintain the secret, you know, he's going to have to face the consequences of that choice. And it's just, there's just an awful lot of storytelling fodder there that I'd like to get into if I can. I I really hope you can. Because, <laughs> yeah, this is, the, the ending of this book just, you know, if, I don't know how a page turner exists when you have no more pages to turn. <laughs> Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I did a long post on this notion of emotional closure versus intellectual closure, and what I try to do with that book, with Riptide, because I know it leaves some questions unanswered, and this is going to bother a lot of people, and a lot of people will kind of dig on it because they'll have conversations like you and I are having, but they'll just be sitting around chatting about it instead of doing an interview, and I like that. I like to leave a book that leaves a reader with something to chew on, but I also want to give a kind of relatively significant emotional closure, and I think the book has that in the form of Soldier and Grace, in the form of Mother getting what's coming and Miss getting what's coming and so on. But there is this sort of hangnail there at the end where you're like, what the hell is going to happen now? Well, you know, we'll see. Now, at one point in the book, Nis uses his secret clone phrase and is shocked that Jaden doesn't succumb. So are we mm. to take it that means Nis believes the Jaden we'd followed for two novels to already have been a clone? I would take it that way, yes. I believe that is evidence of what Nis believed. And at the end, you do have Jaden reflecting on the scar he got as a youth that he remembered having, you know, very recently, now suddenly missing. So are we to take that as the Jaden who died in Riptide was indeed the real Jaden? Um, <laughs> I don't want to answer that. Okay, I understand. I'm not trying to be too cute about it. It's just by way of background, we went, by we, I mean myself, my editor at Delray and Lucasfilm, but particularly with my editor at Delray, we went back and forth a lot to make sure that we had the backstory for these characters squared away. But not all of it appears in the novel. And it's intentional in that I want people to ask the question that you just asked, because it seems to me there's good evidence, I think, that the Jaden who we followed in Cross Current and Riptide is not an original, is, is a clone, or at least Nitz believed him to be that. And I think there's evidence, though, too, that he's not. Or if he is, that something can change the nature of a clone such that they're no longer mere clones, which gets to this earlier question that you had about what do you think about clones as individuals. And I, I don't really want to give a definitive answer on it. Again, not trying to be cryptic. It's just one of those things that I think it's useful to think about, maybe a little bit fun to think about, and, and I hope that I get to get back to it at some point. All right. Moving away from the clones a little bit and on to Nis and Syl, I was very intrigued by their forced suppression power. That's not something that I can recall seeing before in the expanded universe. And we've seen some of the same effects with the Islamiri and the Yuzen Vong, but never a controllable power like you have here in Riptide. Was this right. your own creation? 
Um, it was, and um, I needed to do a couple of things with it, and one was obviously make it a unique force power. It's not something that is indicative or, or a quality possessed of Umbarans generally. It was unique to these two, and I think that comes out when Weirlock is thinking about them and indicates that's why the one Sith snatched them up when those powers became clear. So it's a one-off in a way. Presumably it could manifest in other species and other places around the galaxy, but at least for purposes of this book, it's just a one-off with the two of them. And here again, the goal there, Arnie, was to have a, uh, at least one of the antagonists kind of mirror soldier in a way. As we talked earlier, Soldier is kind of this sort of alien in the universe who who doesn't have any place. He just is what he he's a he, in his own mind he's a bit of a unique, entirely idiosyncratic being without purpose, and he just doesn't understand how he fits into the universe. And Nis and Sill are very much the same way. They're these unique kinds of characters who, even in their internal monologues and in their dialogue between each other, they are sort of separate from the universe and think of themselves in some ways as kind of walking dead. So you know those two are designed to mirror each other to some degree. Similar, in addition to suppressing the Force, they were able to suppress the functionality of lightsabers, and I can't recall having seen such a strong connection to lightsaber crystals and their affiliation with either side of the Force. I remember Lucas once said in an interview that lightsabers aren't mood rings, they don't change red when you turn evil and such. And so with Nissa's Force suppression ability able to render the sabers useless, I was wondering if, again, this was your own creation. Yes, it was, but this is one of the uh, subjects that we got a lot of discussion between my editor, Lucasfilm, and and, uh, Leland Chi. And we talked at length about whether or not something like this is, is possible, both the cleansing of a crystal and recreating the lightsaber in another form with the same crystal and the suppression of the lightsaber as a function of suppressing force ability. And, and my position to them was, if a lightsaber were nothing more than tech, if the force crystal itself were just a crystal that one could find that happened to be attuned to the force but that anybody could find, then we'd probably see lightsabers all over the place because, you know, these are handheld weapons that can cut through, you know, the whole starships. I mean, they're impressive tools. And we don't, and at least in my view, and again, this is just me talking now. Now, now Leland never came out and said, yeah, no, that's right. He just said, you, you go forward with the scene. But, you know, in my view, the crystal itself, while it's, it, it is attuned to the Force, needs a particular kind of attunement that comes from its interface with the builder of the lightsaber at the time of the building. So the Force user modifies the crystal in some way, attunes it directly to the Force in a way that allows it to channel the energy that creates the saber shaft itself. And that attunement remains. It doesn't require conscious effort on behalf of the user, obviously. It becomes an integrated part of the crystal and the construct that is the lightsaber, but the attunement remains. So when one can, like these guys, these environments who have the ability to suppress the force in a sort of focused way, are able to uh, break that attunement and thereby deactivate the saber. Thank you for the explanation. That's just my explanation, by the way. As I said, I, I've said something in the, either on Twitter or on, online at some point and basically said the same thing. This is just my view. I just got to go ahead to write the scene, but that doesn't mean that my explanation is the one that will ultimately emerge as a canon explanation. Now, there was one thing that I don't know if I missed in the novel or if maybe you left it intentionally vague, but why Soldier was able to resist Nissa's power. 
the theory would be that when the attempt to disengage one from the force begins from these environs, that if you know it's coming or if you feel it coming, you can at least make an attempt to resist it and maintain your hold on the force. Most are not going to succeed in that regard, but under certain circumstances, someone can. Soldier's got something that's providing him some focus that allows him to hang on to it longer or better or resist this in that regard. Okay, yeah, and it was protection of grace primarily. In that ah, scene. right, that there was... you go. Now, also in the book, you have the entity called Mother, and we get to see a little insight into the origins of Mother, but I was wondering if you intended her to be an artificial intelligence that manifested over the millennia from the Rakuten technology, or if she was a living creature all along, or with the Rakuten tech, is there really no difference? I think the latter is probably closer to the truth. There's probably isn't much difference because the idea is that the tech uses dark side energy to uh, power itself and that over time this energy gains sentience and consciousness and also the tech has this sort of organic quality to it. So, you know, is it AI? Is it an organic being? I mean, it's, it's kind of a cross in a way. It's a, it's, a, it's a weird kind of being. But yeah, I think, I think that your last description of it probably fits. It's both. And in many ways, Mother reminded me of the character Abeloth from Fate of the Jedi, the dark side right. force manifestation that takes on a physical embodiment, but obviously with a different result. Was there any thought in your mind that the two entities are somehow related? At the time that I wrote Cross Current and was thinking about Mother, and the time that I wrote Riptide and wrote her into the book, I didn't know about Abeloth. After I flipped the manuscript, I did read about, I don't know when she first appears in Fate of the Jedi, but I then I read about her on a message board, and I thought that would be cool if they were somehow connected in a way, even if it were really indirect, you know, like they just had a kind of similar origin or one spun off from the other, something like that. And so I threw that out there and said, hey, do we want to do this? Because I could still make some tweaks to the manuscript, but, but Delray didn't want to do that at the time. So in my mind, there was possibly some connection because it seems kind of an interesting coincidence that we had this kind of simultaneous development of similar types of, of beings, but, but in the end, we opted not to make any connection, at least not at this point. Right. Well, thank you for your time. I want to remind our readers that Riptide, as well as Cross Current and The Old Republic Deceived are all in stores and available on every e-format now with Del Rey's new publishing. And what is it you're currently working on that we can look forward to? Well, I'm actually working on a lot of things, Artie. I've got my original Sword and Sorcery series is going to be released by uh, Angry Robot Books in June of 2012. The first book of that is called The Hammer and the Blade. And I think if you like my writing in terms of the characters, I think that's one of the areas where I, I work best is with developing interesting characters that are fun to read about and that you get to kind of know and love or loathe, as the case may be. You'll love these books. My next Erebus Kale novel comes out at the end of 2012. That's called Godborn. And then I am under contract with Del Rey to do two more Star Wars books, hardcover books. Um, I just can't talk about them yet. <laughs> All right, great. Well, when those come out, we hope we, that you will join us back here on the show. You bet I will. Thanks again to Paul for joining me for that interview. I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to this long-teased duology that he's been talking about. So I can't wait for that to come out. So that is our show for this week. Thank you for listening. I do want to give a quick shout-out to Dex1138 on Twitter. He had joined the Star Wars Action News Sithmas Secret Santa Gift Exchange and posted how he was wrapping the gifts, and I loved it so much. I'm stealing it. Thief. 
because he took some vintage Marvel Star Wars comics and cut them up for wrapping paper supplies. Very cool idea. And always fun to join the Sithmas giveaway. I did some shopping on that myself this week. Hopefully my gift target will be happy. And also our sponsor Backstage Toys had allowed us to give away one of those very cool Lego Star Wars advent calendars. We had a very fun What Do You Get a Wookiee for Christmas contest. Got a lot of fun answers. A Floby, a Flea Collar, a Furminator, Soul Glow. Wonka said do not get him a comb. Last time that happened, he styled his hair like Snuva. But the winner by random drawing was Ed Solo. And his answer is, well, if someone had to buy him a comb and a brush, I'm guessing hygiene isn't his forte. I would think he could use a toothbrush with toothpaste and mouthwash. I can only imagine how bad morning Wookiee breath would be. So congrats, Ed Solo, and PM me your shipping information, and we'll get that out to you via Backstage Toys. And thanks to Backstage Toys for the contest. So we will be back next week as we start our 2011 year in review with the rest of the Star Wars Action News crew, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting.
Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. And for the best sales, our sales to astonish. Wrong show. <laughs> I think that's the first time that's happened. It is. And their answer. We are working with our production. Quit mouthing the words. I wasn't. You were. I wasn't. <laughs> I, you. I saw you do that. Somebody had just thrown them on the floor. Every. S- I'll start with somebody just throwing them on the floor. Hands. Because you threw that on the floor? Yes. Sorry. It's my hands. People see my hands. You're going to reveal that Darth Vader's Luke's father? That type of spoiler, yes. Got it. Well, wait, maybe that was a spoiler for people right there who hadn't seen Empire, I guess. So here is that interview. (laughs) 